Well, good evening, everybody. We welcome you inside the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench Show. Chris Kerber with you here tonight on a Thursday night. Normally, we come your way on Wednesdays, but the Blues played last night. How awesome was that? So the show moved to Thursday night this week, so thanks for tuning in. The show each and every week brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. If you're tired of looking at stained carpet and scuff vinyl, we would love to help you increase the style and the value of your home with Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. When considering new flooring in your home, real wood is the healthiest option and provides the best long-term value. Boardwalk is a local, family-owned business, providing quality floors in our community for more than 22 years. Boardwalk has great floors for every home with better selection, better value, and the best service. Don't just take our word for it. Check out our reviews on Google. Visit one of our three area showrooms and online at boardwalkhardwood.com. Well, for the first time in 140 days last night, we had St. Louis Blues hockey. A couple of quick notes on that front for you, and then we'll get into hearing from Craig Berube and get his thoughts on game number one. Of course, it was an exhibition game against the Chicago Blackhawks, and the St. Louis Blues fell by a score of 4 to nothing. They gave up a couple of power play goals, a couple of even strength deflections right in front of the net. Jordan Bennington gave up two. Jake Allen gave up two. Jake Allen playing the last period. Bennington played the first two periods. The Blues did in the game dress an extra forward in Troy Brower and an extra defenseman in Nico Mikola. For this exhibition game, you were able to dress 20 skaters, not just 18. Now come the round-robin tournament starting Sunday for the Blues, Saturday for other teams, or the play-in rounds, which also started those same days, you are back to 18 skaters. And a lot of teams then most of the time, of course, go with the 12 forwards, and uh, the six defensemen, but I guess you could still go with an extra forward if you choose to cut one defenseman or an extra defenseman. Some teams will do that, but so rare when it comes to playoff hockey. You do tend to see the extra defenseman more so than you would ever see an extra forward. An extra forward in that situation is extremely rare unless that forward has a chance of playing defense. So that's what the Blues did last night. They fell by a score of four to nothing. Again, it was an exhibition game. The Chicago Blackhawks will now go on to take on the Edmonton Oilers in their playing round. The Blues will be off until Sunday and a 5.30 puck drop St. Louis time Sunday evening against the Colorado Avalanche. Now that game could end up being delayed and I'll tell you about that here in just a moment. But the schedule for the Blues comes on Sunday against Colorado. They will then play their second game on August 6th, and that will be against the Vegas Golden Knights. And then the third game of the round-robin tournament on August 9th will be against the Dallas Stars. And again, for those that are not aware how this is working, the round-robin tournament is to determine the top seeds, the top four seeds for the playoffs. Who gets the number one seed, two seed, third seed, fourth seed? All right, so any tiebreakers in this situation, it will come down to regular season points percentage. The Blues had the best. The Blues will own that tiebreaker against any of the teams. The games will be played as if they are regular season games. So in other words, if the game is tied after regulation, it will go to a five-minute, three-on-three overtime. If it is still tied, it will go to the shootout. You still get two points for the win. You get one point for an overtime or shootout loss. And the total number of points at the end of this round-robin tournament, each team playing the three games against the other teams, will determine the seeding. The team with the most points gets the number one seed, second most two seed, third most three seed, fourth most fourth seed. And then the bottom seeds, the bottom four teams that will enter into the best of seven Stanley Cup playoff tournament aspect of this will be determined by the winners of the play-in rounds. Now, the one difference 
this season versus the last few is the league is going back to reseeding after every round. So the lowest seed to win the play-in tournament will play the number one seed out of the round-robin tournament, and you can understand how that goes. After each round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, after each round of the best-of-seven series, they will reseed. So the highest remaining seed will always play the lowest remaining seed, and so on and so on, and that's how that will go. Now, I mentioned how the game could be delayed. One of the interesting aspects of this is because you are playing games all day long in the rink in Toronto and doing the same thing at Rogers Place in Edmonton, if the game in front of you ends up going long, it could push your game back a little bit. It's something the league knows that could happen. So in this case on Sunday, the game that the St. Louis Blues will be waiting to end is the game with the Nashville Predators. It's a play-in round. That game, because it's a play-in round, is going to be handled like playoff hockey. So if they go to overtime, they play a full period until somebody scores. If nobody scores, another 15-minute intermission, another full period of hockey comes after that. So if you end up going a full period of overtime, there's no doubt you are going to be pushing the games behind you back just a little bit, if not more. The league figures it's going to take them about an hour to change things over from the signage to the cleanliness of some rooms, uh, the benches areas, that kind of stuff. And so because of that, it could take them 45 minutes an hour just to get the other teams back on the ice for warm-ups. So again, we could be, for the first time ever, dealing with, I guess, what we'll call rain delays, for lack of a better way of putting it, but one that everyone's aware of in the sport of hockey. So that'll be something fun to watch. But assuming there's no delays, and assuming the Nashville Predators game goes off just fine, We'll have the pregame show at 4.30 and the drop of the puck at 5.30 on Sunday night. All right, let's get back to last night's game. Blues played the Blackhawks. Neither team looked very sharp. There were certain aspects of the game that Craig Berube was okay with, other aspects of the game that he was not okay with and definitely wants to see better. He had his Zoom meeting with the media after the game, and let's start with structure. The one thing he wanted to see going into that game was just get to the small aspects of the game. Sharp line changes, good decisions with the puck, smart dump-ins when you need to make them, pinch at the right time, get back defensively at the right time, puck possession, things along these kind of lines. Some aspect of it was good. He also said he definitely saw some structure, but there were things to improve on. I think we knew that coming in. You know, as a staff, um, you know, execution would probably be a little bit of an issue. I think the ice, too, wasn't very good. You know, but... It's for both teams. Uh, puck was bouncing a lot, but our execution's got to be better than that. I did see a lot of structure, actually. You know, we only gave up three shots in the second period. Defensively, you know, we didn't we didn't really give up a ton of stuff. We gave up uh, in the third period. We got a little sloppy um, in our D zone. Uh, one other one other um, series in the D zone in the first period. But I thought overall the structure was pretty good. You know. Um, offensively, structure-wise, we just didn't, you know, in the first period, I didn't think we shot the puck enough. Second period, we got the puck to net uh, more. Uh, PP's got to shoot a little bit more. But overall, I think our structure was fine. Well, last night was the first time as well that we had seen Vladimir Tarasenko play in game action since he was hurt in a rush up the ice with the L.A. Kings' Sean Walker on October 24th. You want to talk about a long time without playing some competitive hockey 
That was pretty long for Vladimir Tarasenko. He got back into the lineup. He did have a couple of shots on goal. He was put on the back on the line with Braden Shen and Jaden Schwartz. But to a whole, none of the lines out there really had very good puck possession in the game. On the power play, we did see Vladimir Tarasenko on a unit that featured Tyler Bozak, Robert Thomas, Colton Pareko, and Sammy Blay, along with Vladimir Tarasenko. They got about one minute of ice time on each of the power plays. He was playing on the left side, and they had Robert Thomas playing on the right side with that top point shooter and the blue line shooter, of course, being Colton Pareko. No real great chances on that power play. Craig Berube felt that the special teams missed some opportunities to shoot the puck. But all in all, it was great just to see Vladimir Tarasenko back out on the ice. And here is Craig Berube's quick assessment of his sniper's return to competitive action. Yeah, he had some good shots. Um, you know, I think for the first game back in a long time, you know, he was he was fine. I mean, listen, he's he's got to get better like the rest of our team going forward here. Uh, but, you know, he did some good things out there. And, you know, he, he got some shots off on the power play a couple times and uh, even five on five. So, you know, we all got to get better. Well, we mentioned puck possession, and uh, mentioning puck possession is a key aspect of the St. Louis Blues game to success. Look, the skilled players, it takes a little while to get that feel of the puck back. A lot of these guys could not get on the ice during the timeout and during the pause. So it's no surprise that puck possession wasn't where it needs to be. But Craig Berube addressed that issue after the game. Well, we had spurts of it, but overall it wasn't good enough. You know, uh, you know, like I said, I didn't think that we possessed the puck enough. And when we did have it, you know, our execution wasn't good. So we ended up giving it back to them, you know, unforced, unforced errors. Um, you know, I think, you know, once the, the real game start, it's, you know, we're going to be better for sure. And we're going to possess that puck more for sure. Um, but I would have liked to, I would have liked to see more of it tonight. Now, one of the things that is going to be an interesting thing to keep an eye on is quality of ice. Is it smooth? Is it good? Does it get slushy with being in the summertime versus the wintertime? How's the humidity in the rink? There was plenty of people talking yesterday about the ice quality in Edmonton not being all that good. And some of it could be just getting the ice ready now with team after team after team getting a chance to skate on it. But, again, simple place, smart place, part of the key. Craig Berube addressed the ice surface. And, yes, it is something that could be a factor throughout this tournament. Uh, it could be for sure. I would, you know, I would think it would be, um, you know, I think that um, we got to really definitely pay attention to that and play a simpler style of hockey. Um, I think we're getting a little too cute tonight at times with the puck that, you know, again, it wasn't, wasn't sitting flat. Execution was not very good. And finally, when you break down any hockey game, you break down special teams, you break down goaltending and Craig Berube addressed the power play, the penalty kill and Jordan Bennington's two period in that. Well, like I said, in a power play, we didn't shoot the puck enough. We didn't get it to the net enough. We had some, we had a couple chances, but not enough. And then uh, on the power play, you know, the one's a bad break, um, you know, and the other one we got caught, you know, coming in the zone there off an entry play and didn't cover the middle of the ice good enough, and they scored. So, um, you know, there's some good things for sure on the PK, and there were some good things in the power play, but we got to get better. Benner was fine for me, you know, we uh, – we let a couple backdoor plays happen, which shouldn't have happened. Um, he made some nice saves, 
in the first period there. So Benner looked sharp to me. I thought that uh, he played the puck extremely well tonight, got out on pucks and stopped them behind the net early on in the game, which is important. Well, there you have it. There's some thoughts from the head coach of the St. Louis Blues, Craig Berube, after the exhibition game last night. They will have practices over the next few days. Tough situation for the Blues coach to manage as they, of course, do not play until Sunday evening and then only play once during the week before they play their third game on the ninth. So uh, the second, the sixth, and the ninth are the schedule for the Blues, Colorado, Vegas, and Dallas, respectively, on those dates. And our next broadcast is going to come your way with a 4.30 pregame and a 5.30 faceoff on Sunday night. You're listening to the Boardwalk Carbon Floors Behind the Bench Show. When we come back, we're going to bring in my partner, Joe Vitale. Bumps and bruises and just getting back at it. Where do you feel it the most and how do you recover from it? We're going to talk about that. Plus, we'll get into some detail on the expectations of Sunday night's game against the Colorado Avalanche. That's coming up next right here on the Boardwalk Harbor Floors Behind the Bench Show on 101 ESPN. All right, well, we welcome you back into the Boardwalk Harbor Floors Behind the Bench Show. If you're tired of looking at stained carpet and scuffed vinyl, we would love to help you increase the style and the value of your home with Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. We're considering new flooring in your home. Real Wood is the healthiest option and provides the best long-term value. Boardwalk is a local, family-owned business providing quality floors in our community for more than 22 years. Boardwalk has great floors for every home with better selection, better value, and the best service. Don't just take our word for it. Check out the reviews on Google. Visit one of our three area showrooms and online at boardwalkhardwood.com. Well, as we continue with the show, let's bring in my broadcast partner, Joe Vitale, get his thoughts on last night's game. And now we really get to gear up and look ahead towards a Sunday's game against the Colorado Avalanche. And Joe, in the end, did much surprise you with what you saw last night? Well, Curbs, no, not not at all, actually. And I know that that was the, that was the tone for Craig Berube. Uh, we got the sense from this from Alex Petrangelo that we just didn't know. Players didn't know, coaches didn't know, broadcasters didn't know, and certainly fans didn't know. But the one thing was certain, and it was really what Craig Berube summed up as we talked to him yesterday morning before the game, and that was the goal of the game is to stay healthy. And at the end of the game, we saw a couple of players kind of wobble down that, uh, that, that runway to the locker room. You get a little nervous when you see Carl Gunnarsson, Sammy Blaze, some big pieces of this team, and you start getting a little nervous, but then you see them coming back out, and you thank your lucky stars, and at the end of the night, it does appear that all 20 players uh, were healthy and are ready to go now for Sunday. So uh, it did not it did not uh, surprise me one bit, the sloppiness, the lack of execution, because I tell you what, these four players have been literally sitting on their butts doing nothing for four straight months. So it, I can't imagine how hard that must have been to get up for a game last night. And at the same time, when Craig Berube talked to the media afterwards, and we aired this in the first segment of the show, there were certain aspects of execution that he did see. There were some smart plays with the puck. There were certain things that he did like along those lines. He's just a very realistic coach and understands the the process and time that it takes to get to a game, isn't he? Well, I think that it's important that the message is you stay positive to some degree. I think that it would have been, you know, um, I'd say shameful to some degree and unprofessional, he knows this, to go in there and rip his team that it wasn't what they wanted and you lose to, for, for, for lack of a better term, maybe the worst team in Western Conference right now. But he didn't do that. You stay positive. Yes, there, there are things to take away that, that were good. You know, opening that game last night, Curbs, we were calling it there from Centene. I, I was really impressed by the goalie to defense exchange. You know, you have the Blackhawks dumping pucks in. You got Jordan Bennington, who was great behind the net, stopping pucks. He's got his head up. 
hear the defensemen, they're coming back, the feet are up the ice, they're looking, they're, they're, they're scanning, and those good passes from goalie to D, and then D to forward, and boom, just like that, they were out of the zone. D retrieval, it's a big part of this Blues team, big part of their system, is get out of their zone as quickly as possible, and the goalie, the defense, passing, and exchanges are very important, and I have a funny suspicion that that's one of the areas of the game that Craig Bruby was talking about when he said that there were some positives to take away from that game last night. You know, you mentioned injuries, Joe, and while I know that when a National Hockey League team in a normal training camp situation will play anywhere from six to nine games, and they will probably try to get at least the veteran players into, say, three of those, a couple being closer to the start of the regular season. This situation is so extraordinarily unique. You actually had enough time off, as as you and I figured yesterday, the 140 days between the last game and the and the game last night would be the equivalent of losing somewhere in the first round of a playoffs until the start of training camp. So a little bit more time, if obviously, if you miss the playoffs of about 150 days or so between that and the start of training camp. But this you don't have four, five, six games to work in. And in this situation, players were not able to get onto the ice a whole lot more throughout the summer as they normally would have been able to do. So that said, when you don't have the ability to work through some of the the bumps, the bruises, the the the, the little the little aches and pains that come with getting going again and you're going straight into meaningful games, that could create a real unique change. As a as a former player, give the fans an idea of how your body would feel after that first exhibition game in what you were part of in most cases, which was normal training camp situations. Yeah, so it's a really good point. And it was interesting you bringing up the days last night, Curbs, because I, for some reason I felt like it was a longer period of rest for the Blues than, let's say, losing the first round. But by the numbers, you were exactly right. It was, it was typical of losing the first round and starting back up then again in October. And I also kind of, my mind drifted to these poor souls uh, of players that are on the Ottawa Senators and the Detroit Red Wings because if, let's say if we don't start till January, that's almost nine months and quick math, top my 270, 270 days. I mean, compare that to teams that aren't even playing right now. So that's going to be uh, that's going to be interesting to see come January 1, assuming everything goes well and we start, how those t- type of teams do. But to your point about the injuries, to your point about being off this long, uh, listen, when I lost, you know, Arizona, for example, it's probably my longest off season. It was probably around 155 days because we didn't make the playoffs that year. So it's pretty similar to what the Blues are going through now. But the difference is, the difference is that I was able to skate. I was able to work out. I'm, I'm in the weight room. I'm training uh, here in St. Louis with uh, John Benny over here in De Pere with Chris Butler. And we got a great group of guys training. Then we go to the ice rink and we grab lunch and then we go home. Uh, still, given all that, I was banged up come that first game in September. So for these players who have not done that, it, it's going to be even more uh, dramatic. And the biggest thing that gets you is everything around the torso region. You would think the, the legs and the, the thighs and the shoulders, and certainly you feel it in the thighs. The lactic acid buildup is there. Uh, there's that little pinchy area right under your armpit towards your back. There's like a, a little nerve there that whenever you start getting physical, it really kind of – it trips people up. There's a lot of knots that happen under the armpit for both sides for players. But the biggest problem that I've always found and the biggest problem these, these players are going to be dealing with now is right around that torso region. Everything from, I would say, curbs 
you know, you know where your rib cage comes together at the at the top. I think it's called a xiphoid process. If I remember my biology right, uh, xiphoid process, which you push on if, if you need to do CPR. So right around where the rib cage connects at the chest, all the way down, probably to your hip bones, and that's that's the area, the abs, the, the low back, the QL, which is a muscle in the back. A lot of players those get really tight. There's also a psoas ligament, which is right through your six pack. Are your your price you curved your six pack of flubber? <laughs> you mean um, my, no 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 no? Let's get that right. Flab, it it might flab. be no through my keg. The keg, that's what it was. Okay, yes, yeah, yes, yes. Please, flab, I, I would appreciate yeah. you getting that right. Sorry. Okay, so you <laughs> believe it or not, even through the slab, you still have your psoas there as well, and the psoas and the QL, ones in front, ones in the back, and they kind of play tug of war at each other, especially for hockey players. Um, given the stride, uh, the hip flexors, the side of your hips, your glutes. Those are all the areas in the middle of that body, middle of that section, that just gets worn out completely. They're going to be extremely tight. And players over the next two to three days, their best friend is going to be that foam roller. You see them at the weight room. Sometimes they're black. There's white ones. Basically a long four-foot piece of foam on on a cylinder. And you just roll, roll, roll. You get in as deep as you can to those ligaments in your hips and through your abs and through your back. And try to get that as loose as possible heading into Sunday's matchup against the Avalanche. All right. So, so to that end, okay. Between now and Sunday, and and then in, in a moment we'll, we'll we'll talk about the the upcoming round robin tournament. But between now and Sunday, how do you recover from that game to make sure that your body is making the right strides over these four days to Sunday night from a physical aspect for the St. Louis Blues? Well, I think number one is certainly going to be uh, hydration. That's something that's going to be pushed a lot. It's very popular now what players do, aside from just water. Uh, the thing 10 years ago in the league was protein shakes. Trainers pushed protein shakes as much as they could. Protein shakes and water. The, the, the league's kind of getting away from that now. A lot of trainers are starting to get away from that now. Um, e and a lot of these Blues players starting last year, I noticed curves, and you probably noticed this too, they hop on flights after games, and what do they have? Good old-fashioned Pedialyte, which you can get at Walgreens or CVS, uh, has electrolytes in it. It's typically for kids or babies who are sick and dealing with, you know, vomiting or diarrhea that they need nutrition back in that body. Well, now athletes are starting to grab those jugs, and they come in about those, I'd say a quart to two quart size jugs. There's orange, there's red. I see a lot of players walking around with those. That's going to give you the hydration, the electrolytes to replenish basically what you just lost in body weight. The player can typically lose anywhere from – three pounds to I've, I've heard even heard six to seven pounds of straight water weight during a game a player like ryan o'reilly alex petrangelo guys that put in 25 minutes ish they're probably looking at around six pounds of water weight loss so they got to recover that very quickly over the next day or two uh, we mentioned the foam roll and we mentioned the hip uh, nutrition this is an important one too and it's a little bit different given the bubble these guys are in okay you're at home a lot of guys here they have their spots they go you know, it's a Clayton, and they have their spots in town and country or on the way home from the rink. A lot of guys are gluten, gluten-free, gluten uh, vegan-friendly. Ryan O'Reilly doesn't eat meat. Alexander Steen, I think he incorporates fish, but he's a pretty much vegan, strict diet as well. So the big key here for the nutrition side is, does the hotel, does the bubble, are there restaurants that players can go to that are going to provide for these diet-specific players what they need? So again, uh, diet nutrition is becoming more and more important And again, another trend is they're finding that less meat is actually more productive uh, for energy, which was, again, crazy 15 years ago. It was steak, chicken, pork, 
push it on as much as you can because that's the energy source. But believe it or not, Curbs, a lot of these Blues players, even Craig Berube, to both of us yesterday, he said he's eating a lot of grains and a lot of Alberta, Alberta meat. But Craig Berube is also a guy that he's starting to really incorporate a lot of greens and grains. And you don't look at him and think that, but he really has been feeling a lot more energy, been sleeping better as well. So from a recovery standpoint, those are the main areas. Um, rest, recovery, nutrition, hydration, and of course, get that foam roller. And these players are going to be literally making love to these foam rollers on their carpets in their hotel rooms. <laughs> well, you know, one of the, and you brought this up in the broadcast last night, uh, last thing along this this line of of thought, but, you know, the, the practice rink is about 20 to 25 minutes away from the hotel. So a team goes to the practice rink, a team, then it takes you, you know, maybe, you know, 45 minutes to an hour to get stretched, get ready to go out on the rink and practice. And then afterwards, you know, because some guys will be working on something, it could take you 45 minutes to an hour after practice just to get back on the bus to leave. But then you got to go back to 20, 25 minutes to the hotel. And because of COVID and because of the way they're trying to keep the bubble tight, they're not providing food at that rink right now where guys would normally be very used to that. So guys, by the time that they get back to the bubble, they, they've got a growl on it. And this, is, this will be an interesting one to see if this one changes. You know, it's a really good point, and I'm glad you brought that up because, again, that gets back to the nutrition and maybe how these players are going to be thrown off their routines a little bit. Now, I guess the, the positive curve is they're not just picking on the St. Louis Blues. This is every team. So every team is going through the same hurdles. But at the same time, it does, it does make you think that is the league going to step in at some point if enough players have a problem with it, which I believe they do. I talked to two of them that do not like that system. Will the league come in and implement change? Maybe that change comes after five days. You know, as we mentioned on the broadcast last night, you brought up for the first five days of this bubble, the league is doing a very good job keeping teams away from each other. After five days, assuming there's no positive test, maybe they're going to let the teams mingle a little bit more. You can go out with a friend from Colorado, no big deal. So maybe that rule change as far as meals after practices will kind of loosen up a little bit after this five-day swing. At least we're hoping. The players are certainly hoping for it. But, uh, yeah, you're right. Coming back after the practice rink, you're looking at maybe an hour to hour and a half after you get off the ice before you're having a meal. And another scientific proven, um, there's a lot of evidence behind this is after a workout, there is like a between a 45-minute, 30- to 45-minute window where your body is starving for nutrition. And that is a really crucial time in recovery. Right when you get off the ice, within 30 to 40 minutes, you got to put something solid like food in your body to recover from what you just did and how you just damaged it. So I do believe at some point the league will step in. I think players are going to have enough to say about it. Well, that, that rule will change. But even aside from the, the food, two curves, schedule-wise, like you mentioned, these players getting back to the hotel after an hour and a half, there's also these Zoom meetings, these press conferences, and they only have a couple of these rooms set up in the hotel. So, you know, Chris Pinker for the St. Louis Blues, who's running the PR up there for them, is going to say, Alex, right when you get back to the hotel, we need you to do a Zoom with X, Y, and Z. So then Petro's got to say, well, I haven't eaten yet. He goes, yeah, I understand that. But also, we have a St. Louis Blues Zoom window in the conference room from, let's say, 12 to 12.45. And after 12.45, it belongs to the Colorado Avalanche. We need to get this in. So it's, again, it's another schedule, a little hiccup, where the league's trying to sort this out. And you know what? They're doing the best they can, Curbs. I mean, there's so much involved here. But these are all little wrinkles that I believe will get ironed out because these players are coming back to hotels. They have requirements they have to do for the league, for their team, um, Zoom meetings being one of them, that, again, are kind of messing with the routine of things. But 
as this continues to progress. And the other thing, too, as more teams get eliminated, which we can see as early as late next week, maybe maybe the rules start to loosen up a little bit. Will be fascinating. All right, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to get into the round robin tournament with Joe Vitale in a moment right here on the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench Show on 101 ESPN. And we'll go back into the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench Show. It's pretty fascinating stuff just in terms of how players are going to try and make sure that the body recovers while living in the bubble. Stay tuned in our final segment of the show. We're going to check in with St. Louis Blues own Ashley Vice. She is up in Edmonton, and they got a look at the arena yesterday for the first time. They hadn't seen it until the Blues went over to play the game last night against the Chicago Blackhawks. So we'll get Ashley's update on what's going on in the bubble and that setup in the arena, as well as what you could look forward to again from her and the coverage of the St. Louis Blues on stlouisblues.com while they are up in the bubble. But we continue here on the Boardwalk Carbon Floors Behind the Bench shows. We're talking things over from last night to what's going to happen with the St. Louis Blues with Joe Vitale and Joey, let's flip the switch now. We start to talk about things that matter. The bubble. I'm sorry, the round-robin tournament. Let's start with this. We have both talked to players. We have both talked to the coach. We get the sense that these games matter, but we also get the sense that it's not going to quite be the same as the intensity of those play-in games. It's not, Curbs. Yeah, I think it's going to be a hybrid version of the play-in games. I think I think the play-in games that we're going to see here in a couple of days, I think we're going to have some really intense hockey. I'm excited to see Calgary and Winnipeg just go at it. I'm excited to see the goal scoring, I believe, to be in the Edmonton, Chicago, Toronto, Columbus. It's going to be some really, really good hockey. I think we're going to see a lot of hitting. It's going to be physical, especially out west. Now, these Ron Robin games aren't going to quite be that, but they're definitely going to be a lot better than what we saw last night uh, against the Blues and the Chicago Blackhawks. And what I mean by that is this. The Blues now are facing good teams. And no disrespect to the Chicago Blackhawks, but they're facing the Colorado Avalanche, you're playing the Vegas Golden Knights, and you're, play, and you're facing the Dallas Stars. You're going to have to go through one of those teams. I believe that. I think that maybe two, who, who knows, maybe more. We'll see, how, we'll see how it all pans out. And I bring that up for this reason. You have an opportunity to play one of these best teams, and you have an opportunity to make a dent in that team. And, that, and that's a common term going back to my playing days, is make a dent when the dent matters. I'll give you a quick example. I remember my second year, third year in in Pittsburgh. We were about a week away from playoffs. The playoff brackets were already set. Points-wise, we already knew we were facing the Philadelphia Flyers in round one, which started the following Thursday. Well, we were playing the Philadelphia Flyers that night, the second-to-last regular season game. I remember Dan Bilesma coming in here and saying, boys, we got these guys in the first round. Let's make a dent. I took it literally. I knocked out Grossman, the defenseman. I hurt his knee. And I knocked out your buddy, actually, Danny Briere, Kurt, your, your good buddy, <laughs> and uh, started the line brawl, which, in fact, and Tony Granado and Pierre Laviolette uh, got in the mix, too. Two coaches. Great times. But the point was that. Make a dent. And now the Blues are facing the Colorado Avalanche on Sunday, for example. It's a great opportunity for Sammy Blake to line up in Ian Cole. It's a perfect opportunity for a Scandella or a Robert Portuzo. If you're battling with Nathan McKinnon in front of your own net, bam, give him a nice little pop right in the ribs. Nothing illegal, just good old-fashioned hockey, old-school hockey. Let them know you're there and let them know that the next time you see them, which could be round two or Western Conference final, wherever, they're going to remember that. So I think that that's where the intensity is really going to come out in these games coming up. Yeah, so let's look specifically at Colorado. They're the first opponent. 
I, I do think, Joe, that if there is any team in the National Hockey League, if, if I had to choose any one team in the National Hockey League that is on the cusp of having the ability to win a championship because of experience, youth, skill, and depth, a team that to take that next step that hasn't won it with that group. So I'm not counting the, you know, I'm not counting the the Boston Bruins. I'm not counting the Washington Capitals kind of thing. It is to me the Colorado Avalanche. I think they're more poised than the Dallas Stars are. I think they honestly, they just feel more put together as a complete team than the Edmonton Oilers or the Toronto Maple Leafs do in my opinion or even the New York Islanders for that matter that I, I think that the Colorado Avalanche are that team, which makes them dangerous to play, in my opinion. They are. They're, they're a very dangerous team, Curbs. And to me, why are they so dangerous compared to a Dallas Stars team or, or a Las Vegas Golden Knights team? I think Las Vegas Golden Knights and Colorado are kind of similar, but I'm going to give the edge to Colorado for this reason. I think that they can beat you in a lot of different ways. They have uh, an incredible top line. Atlanta Stog, Rantanen and now Nathan McKinnon, who is always up there in, in, in discussion of being the best player in the National Hockey League, right by Connor McDavid. Their speed, their skill on that top line, they got an exceptional power play. I mean, exceptional power play, the way they moved that puck. I remember being at the Pepsi Center with you, Curbs, last couple of years, and I was, I was in awe. I was, in, I was amazed by how quickly they moved the puck and how many weapons they have. Uh, so you have the skills up top, but then you have this incredible amount of depth, which, which a lot of people sometimes still forget. I mean, they grabbed some good players. There's the deadline last year. They got Nieto. I mean, you look at uh, Nazem Kadri, another big name. Uh, Donskoy, they get from San Jose. Uh, Burakovsky, they get from Washington. I mean, they got incredible depth. They don't just lean on that top line. So those are the forwards. Look at the defensemen. I've never seen a mix of skilled defensemen that can get up in the rush, but also a mix of physical, big defensemen. I mean, you're, you're talking about Zadorov, who's maybe one of the biggest human beings I've ever seen. I mean, he stands out from our vantage point at the Pepsi Center. You got the physicality of him. You got physicality of Ian Cole, uh, Johnson. He will still bang bodies around. So that's the physical part, okay? And then you got the skill defenseman. This Kale McCarr, he's probably going to be the rookie of the year. You have him, Sam Gerrard, guys that can just run a power play, get up in the rush, and they're dangerous. So, again, mix it forwards, mix it deep. The only weak spot, the only spot I don't like about Colorado, I think that the Blues will always have an advantage on, as well as probably the Vegas Golden Knights and maybe and definitely the Dallas Stars is goaltending. I think they're probably going to go with Philip Grubauer, who has had kind of a blues number here and there in better parts the last couple of years. But I just I don't know if he's a goalie that I look at and think, man, that's my guy. He's going to take us to, to, to the promised land. Now, no one would think that about Jordan Bennington last night, so he can always prove me wrong. But I think that if, if the series comes down to one thing and the Colorado Avalanche are a little loosey somewhere and it can be exposed, I think it'd be in that goaltender position. You are talking about four teams in this round-robin tournament that have the, no doubt, they all have the ability and enough to win a Stanley Cup, which is what is going to be fascinating to me about it. It's not lost on me, Joe, that two real key important parts of the Colorado defense are Eric Johnson and Ian Cole two first-round draft picks of the St. Louis Blues that were chosen when the St. Louis Blues were in their rebuild process. Big time. Yeah, Ian Cole. And, you know, we saw what happened with Ian Cole. You know, he goes to Pittsburgh. I believe it was in that Robert Bortuzzo yeah, it was. deal. One for one. And then, yeah, and Ian Cole, I believe he won back-to-back cups there before he left, right, Kirk? He did. 
He did. I think yes. Yeah. So, so he and playing like twenty five minutes a game in those game in those cups. He was called upon big time. You're absolutely right. And Pittsburgh has a habit of that. Look at Brian Dumlin right now. He was a kid in the minors, and then all of a sudden he comes up there. He gets partnered with Chris Letang, and they've given him so much trust. And now he's just running with it. So the same thing with Ian Cole. But yeah, Ian Cole goes to Pittsburgh, wins a couple cups, and then goes to Colorado. And of course, everyone remembers Johnson. Um, and it's hard to look at the Colorado Avalanche and how that back end was built. You're absolutely right. Without looking like looking past uh, two incredible Blues defensemen that, you know, in my opinion, I think they, they, they certainly groomed and blossomed at their own pace. Um, you know, the question, the question is always with Doug Armstrong and g- general managers and, and progression and, and hockey ops and player personnel is, you know, are you allowing enough time uh, to develop that. And I think that Doug Armstrong did a phenomenal job giving them and giving these guys the amount of time that he felt necessary uh, to blossom. Uh, but there are players, and speaking of Colorado Avalanche, we've talked about this a lot, and Nathan McKinnon. I mean, there was there was a good chunk of his first three to four to five years there where he was good, he was really good, and then he was not so good. I think that there is a personality um, – not going to call it an issue. There is a some growing up to do, I think, for Nathan McKinnon, and I've heard this from multiple sources, in the sense that um, he was always so focused on his game, and he maybe hasn't, in those first few years, understood that the hurdle to get through is it's not just about you, it's about the entire team. And I think he's taken ownership of that over the last two years, and now we see how it's not only benefited him, but it's benefited the whole team now. And there's an amazing machine they're going to be very hard to stop. I have to agree with you. You know what? Any player in any sport, that is a normal, natural learning and growth process for any player. And the sure. the few, the seldom few, and I might put Jonathan Taves type in that, there are a seldom few that get that right off the bat. Even some of the most skilled players, it takes a while to understand that. So it's, uh, you know, that's, that, that, that's really not a surprise, and that's why, as you mentioned, general managers have and coaches, you have to have some time, and you have to have some patience to let that stuff come through and to let that stuff develop. Joe, this one ought to be a heck of a lot of fun. Let's watch some games uh, over the next couple of days. We'll be able to start, well, August 1st, start watching games that count, whether it's the playing games or whether it's the round-robin games, and then we'll get back out to our studios at Centene and, and uh, get to work again on Sunday night, bud. That'll be fun. That sounds good, Curves. Yeah, the, the, the wonderful setup of Centene. And, you know, the best part about Centene, as much as I want to be in Edmonton, Curves with you, I'll be honest, leaving, leaving Centene, leaving the game last night, we were supposed to be in Edmonton and hopping in my car and being home in 10 minutes, it wasn't all so bad. Nope, not bad at all as well. They, they had a great setup for us. All right, bud, we'll talk to you in a little bit. Thank you. Thanks, Curves. All right, that is Joel Vitale, and you're listening to the Boardwalk Carver Floors Behind the Bench Show. When we come back, we're going inside the bubble with a report from Ashley Vice that's coming up next in a moment on your home for St. Louis Blues Hockey 101 ESPN. All right, one final time here tonight on the Boardwalk Carbo Floors Behind the Bench show. We welcome you back into the broadcast and we're bringing in Ashley Vice for our bubble report. Ashley Vice, who you see during each of the intermissions, hosting with Joe Vitale, kind of recapping the periods on, from home ice on the Ava board, the big old video board there at Enterprise Center. You also see different video features that she has put up on stlouisblues.com. She's been a critical part of our Emmy Award winning Blue Note Productions crew for the last four years. And she is up in the bubble. The Blues sent Ashley up there as one of the few spots, non-hockey op spots, that we have 
So we could send somebody up there from a reporting aspect, a video content aspect, and Ashley is embedded with the group up there. Ashley, how are you doing in Edmonton today? I'm doing great, Curbs. Just soaking it all up. Glad to have a little bit of hockey to watch now. So as long as as long as that's here, I'm doing great. From a bubble standpoint, since you guys arrived at 11:30 at night on Sunday, what has been the biggest thing that you have realized that? you others involved in the bubble players included have to get used to I think honestly the biggest thing is the amount that different teams interact with each other everyone expected that to happen to an extent and everyone knew that you might be riding in the elevators with members from the opposing teams and things of that nature but I can tell you I won't name any names but on the very first day riding up with a few players from another team one of the St. Louis Blues players said man I do not like having to do this all the time and it's not a hostile environment by any means but you know this is a St. Louis Blues team that's here for a reason they're extremely competitive and the guy said to me you know there are friends that you have in the league and it's good to see them but there are also some rivalries so I think that's what's probably the most interesting thing even if you're just going to the testing area you might be running into players that the Blues are going to be playing that evening. So that's going to be something to get used to for sure. Anything that you have noticed with the routines in terms of uh, going to and from the practice facility? Yeah, so that's going to be interesting. Um, the rink is about 25 minutes away, so everyone just waits outside. You know, typically on a road trip, guys get on the bus pretty early, but that's another thing that's a little bit different here because a lot of teams are going to that same practice rink around the same time. And so I noticed from day one to day two, a lot of guys went down to the bus a lot later because they didn't just want to be standing there right next to the guys from the other team. So that's um, something that I have noticed. They're going down there a little bit later. It's about a 25-minute drive. Um, There are four teams that practice there at a time. I believe there's not, not practice today and yesterday. There was not a morning skate, but the first two practices, we were there at the same time as Colorado, Dallas, and Vegas, I believe, were the other three teams that were there. What's going to be really interesting is whenever game times do allow a morning skate because the team will be going to a rink 25 minutes away whenever they're used to only being five or ten minutes from the rink in order to do a morning skate. So that will be interesting. For example, yesterday the game was at 4.30 p.m. Mountain Time, and if there would have been a morning skate, the bus was scheduled to leave at 6.30 a.m. So that's going to be an adjustment for sure. Do you think, and, and, and or do you have any knowledge, will they do that? I'm honestly, I'm not sure. Um, I think that, you know, there are some, you know, there's guys like Ryan O'Reilly who always like to take the optional state. So that's something that's going to be interesting to see. With yesterday being an exhibition game, I think it was a little bit harder to tell. But I think once we get into some of these weird game times with these round robin formats, that'll be, we'll have a little bit of an answer there. All right, and then yesterday when the Blues played the Chicago Blackhawks, you guys had not gone into the arena at Rogers Place until it was time to go to the rink for that game that night. So when you got from the hotel, went through the bubble channels, the bubble walkways, the bubble areas to get into the arena, and you looked at what the National Hockey League did inside the arena to get things set up for what is going to be a very TV-oriented product, what what came to mind? What did you see and what popped out to you? You know, I was honestly more impressed than I expected to be. And the primary reason I say that is because Steve Mayer with the NHL, he, I believe, is the chief content officer, but he's kind of been in charge of all of the ideas that the league is putting out there as far as what they're going to do in the arena. 
And he had already told us that the exhibition games is a very dumbed down version of what's going to come come August 1st. And so I was pleasantly surprised last night. You could probably see on TV that there were the LED screens everywhere. Right. Something that I noticed right off the hop during a warm-up was that they have the volume of the music cranked up just like if you're in a game at a packed enterprise center. So that was good. And honestly, the volume of the music, I felt like really did help the energy a little bit. And then they would play music at every stoppage, just like you were if you were in a game. And I think that's going to be really helpful. Um, Yesterday was technically a home game for Chicago, um, but they did still have some aspects of a St. Louis Blues home game. They used the St. Louis Blues headshots. You might have noticed whenever the Blues had a power play that they were playing the power play song. Before warm-ups began, I did hear them testing some things. I heard the little towel man ding going. Unfortunately, they didn't get to play that based on the results of last night's game. But I was I was pleasantly surprised. I think it's going to be interesting to see what they do in order to crank it up once the round-robin games begin. I know they have country roads planned and things like that, so that'll be interesting. And what were your impressions of a National Hockey League game with no fans in the building? It was strange, without a doubt. Like I said, I think the volume of which they were playing the music did make up for that energy a little bit. Um, But again, I also think it's something where it was a little bit harder to tell since it was an exhibition game. It was a little bit of a slower game. I think you could tell. So I think that come Saturday and Sunday when these round robin games begin, and these are meaningful games that everyone wants to win to get the best seating possible, to get the best matchups possible. I think that is when we will really have an idea of how different this is going to be. Ashley, that's one awesome bubble report. Thank you very much. Thanks, Curb. So that is Ashley Weiss. She is embedded with the team in the St. Louis Blues up there in the bubble in Edmonton. And let's hope uh, she's up there for a long time, at least through the first week of October. That would mean the Blues will have made it to the Stanley Cup final and hopefully a repeat champion for the Stanley Cup. But our next broadcast comes your way on Sunday night, 4.30 pregame show, a 5.30 face-off. We will broadcast the games from the E&B Granite Studios out at the Centene Community Ice Center. Ashley will have coverage of the team from up in Edmonton, and we're going to try to check in with Ashley during one of the intermissions as well on that. So for the rest of the week, have a great week. Stay tuned to stlouisblues.com for all your St. Louis Blues information. Go to stlouisblues.com slash playoffs for all your playoff information in terms of banner program, 50-50 raffle, news, schedules, you name it. And then, of course, you can go to stlauthentics.com, stlauthentics.com, to still pick up all of your favorite Blues gear and make sure that you are wearing your gear throughout the St. Louis Blues playoff run. Thanks for tuning in to the Boardwalk Harbor Floors Behind the Bench Show. I'm Chris Kerber. Have a great rest of your week, everybody, and we'll bring you to the rink next time here on 101 ESPN.